is depression funny? I guess only when it's happening to someone else in that comedy is tragedy that's happening to somebody else kind of way. It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. I'm talking to comedians about their experience with clinical depression because they have insight and they make jokes and jokes are good. Jokes make you feel happy with someone. And that's handy when depression tries to make you feel alone and full of despair. And even if you aren't depressed, jokes are great. Yay, jokes. I am Andy Richter. I uh, am currently employed by The Conan Show on TBS, and that is where we're located. In fact, you may hear some trucks in the background. We are on the Warner Brothers lot uh, in my office, Building 34, for the you stalkers out there. Andy Richter is an actor. He's been in a ton of movies and TV shows. He holds the record for all-time highest one-day score on Celebrity Jeopardy. But he's best known for being positioned near Conan O'Brien on three different talk shows over the years and making everything friendlier and funnier. I went to see him at his place of employment. The Warner Brothers lot is a very strange place. You see town squares full of fake stores, a street that looks like New York but isn't. Everything's fake. Surprising number of golf carts on this lot. Uh, well, there's a golf cart. Yeah. No, that's it's that's the transportation. That is the trans. That and bicycles are the transportation. Yeah. You know? uh, you'll see Clint Eastwood and driving his own golf cart. <laughs> is but it like a rugged heaven, old golf cart? Heaven forbid he make eye contact with you. <laughs> I've encountered that a couple times, standing four feet from him, looking right at him as he pauses at a stop sign. It was an odd situation, really, because there was so much cognitive dissonance. Nothing matched. I was there to talk to Andy, who, on the Conan show, fires off quick lines to punch up and funny up the proceedings. But in real life, he's a really eloquent person with a lot to say, long-form thoughts, serious things. He often plays dumb guys on other TV shows or movies, but he's super smart. I was there at his comedy show to talk about depression all in a big spread of actual land based on artifice. I kept waiting to see the um, the assembly of Roman soldier extras and showgirls yes. that, uh, that go along with every... One of the nice things about this show is if you see that kind of thing, odds are it's it's from us. It's, 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 we, are, we, are the, yeah, we are the main provider of, <laughs> of old-timey costumes. Because uh, <laughs> right. we're surrounded by, at this point... I mean, you know, movies come and go. But right now we have across the street uh, the sitcom Mom, the uh, the Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. is, is another studio up. Uh, Mike and Molly just recently vacated. Uh, two broke girls is around is around here. So it's a lot of sitcoms. So it's not a you know you'll see people in waitress uniforms or uh-huh. casual separates, <laughs> but you you don't see too many you know spacemen. Andy knows a lot about comedy and comedians. He's widely respected in comedy circles, and he's a straight shooter. 
So I wanted to check in with him on something I've wondered about since I first started putting this show together. And that is, what's the deal with most funny people I know being depressed? Am I off base with this thought that there is more depression among comedians than the rest of the world? Well, uh, probably not. and But most certainly some form of mental illness. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way or in, yeah. even in a, in, a, in a joking way. I mean, maybe a little bit of joking way, but no, there's, there's a, it's no, it, you know, people have been talking about it as long as people have been able to talk about creative people about mm. the fact that, are they all damaged? <laughs> are they all broken in some way? And, and the answer is, yeah, probably a little bit. Um, Why is that? You know, I think that uh, I, I think that, it, and, and this is gonna this is gonna sound um, uh, slightly grandiose in terms of, of of how I view creative people, but I think that creative people do have an expanded consciousness compared to people that aren't so creative. And that people who are uh, satisfied with a quote-unquote normal life. Um, I think that that's one of the main motivators for young creative people is that they aren't satisfied with a quote-unquote normal life. They aren't satisfied with a small town and they aren't satisfied with two restaurants. When your eyes are open and your mind are, is open to and your ears are open to the greater complications of life mm -hmm. and what makes things what they are, um, I think frequently a sense of hopelessness comes into that. So are creative people... Uh, driven mad by their ability to to see that grand scope of the world? Uh, no, I, well, I mean, they can be, but I also think, and that's, I mean, and that's not, that's, I'm not saying like this is the be all and all, but I definitely think this is definitely, definitely one stripe that, that in this topic that, that occurs to me as being true. Well, I mean, in but comedy, it, there's, there's this, uh, you have an ability to present something in a different way, yes. in an unusual way, right? Which uh, you know, and, and people always say, "Well, I, you know, he's a little bit twisted that comedian, right? Right? But maybe he's a little bit twisted that comedian, right? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's a coping mechanism for sure. Um, it certainly is. Uh, it's a useful tool, uh, making people laugh, making yourself laugh, laughing about something that's hopeless and ridiculous. Uh, it, it 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 certainly is helpful and mm -hmm. it, and it can really um it can really it it can make you just feel better it's you can you know that's that's one of the kind of you know one of the things that I do really truly appreciate what I do for a living cuz I do you know in the long in the I do sometimes and I've said it before if the alien invading force came down and they decided, all right, we're going to call all non-essential personnel. I think <laughs> I'd be on that first list. Comedians report yes, to the line. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, but I do, I do appreciate the fact that um, we 
literally make people happy for a living. Like laughter, if you're going to equate laughter with happiness, we are literally making people happy for yeah. a living. I mean, in addition to selling cars and candy bars and whatever else mm -hmm. advertising there is, it's the whole point is come here, we'll make you laugh. We'll make you we'll we'll give you an hour to just have fun and relax. Yeah, be a little happier. Yeah. Okay, so Andy is talking about how you can be a little happier if you come and hang out with a show like his. Watch it on TV or be in the studio audience. I've been to a Conan taping. It is super fun. It's high energy. It's like going on a ride at the fair. But remember what I said about the cognitive dissonance, things not matching up? The guy talking about the fun of being with all these other people isn't always delighted to be with other people. You're on the show and you have a studio audience. Um, before returning to Conan, you were doing movies, you were doing TV shows, mm -hmm. closed sets, no audience yes. for the most part. Are you happier being able to play to that crowd and getting nope. that happiness back? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I am, and I am unusual in that way. Yeah. I actually, uh, I, I don't like... Uh, I, Nobody, I mean, people have said this, but I think that people still can't get their mind around it. I just, I just heard Amy Schumer on Howard Stern, and for as big a comic persona is, she said, I'm shy. I don't like going and doing all this crap. I don't like going to these parties, and you know, and you know, there's she famously fell down behind Kim and Kanye on a red carpet. Right. And I totally know what that's from because it's, I mean, there's careerism involved. Like there's, there's an aspect in there, like, you know, there's a part of you that knows if I fall on the red carpet behind Kim and Kanye, it's not bad for me. Right. It's not bad if for I'm in my particular, biz, my yeah. personal brand. Right. But it also is, I understand being on that red carpet going, this is so gross I hate all of this. I'm going to go fall down. You know, like, I'm going to go fall down in the middle of it. I don't like making small talk. I don't, you know, I mean, when we, like, when we take the show on the road and we go to, uh, you know, we'll be at a theater somewhere for, you know, Conan's fantastic about being thankful to people and grateful to people and being an and ambassador. Go, yeah, yeah. Being an ambassador and going out and meeting people and he loves it and he draws some kind of like real sustenance from it. And I think that he also understands his responsibility to do it. I sneak out as fast as I can. <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> want that. I don't. And I, and I, I really, I'm old enough that I don't worry. I used to think like, am I being a dick about this? Mm. And now it's kind of like, no, I'm being me. This is what I like. I don't want to, if, why put myself in situations, why sign up for being uncomfortable? Right. Why opt for that? Yeah. Why not? Especially, especially when he's going to take up the slack. Like he's going to go out there and take up the slack and, and be great about it. Now, for the most part, when I interviewed comedians for the show and asked them if they thought there was a higher rate of depression in comedy as opposed to the general population, they said, no, it's just comics are allowed to talk about it. 
You wouldn't want your accountant talking about not being able to get out of bed in the morning. It's preferable if your doctor wasn't kicking suicidal thoughts around and telling you about them. But the idea of dissonance, zagging when you're supposed to zig, that is something that comedy and depressive people have in common. A horse isn't supposed to walk into a bar. You aren't supposed to feel bleak and hopeless all the time, and yet you do. Or to use an example that started on the first Conan O'Brien show, a poorly made hand puppet of a dog isn't supposed to smoke a cigar, speak with a vaguely Eastern European accent, insult everyone, and become famous. But here we are. I don't like being... Like my birthday party, I'm never, I never have as good a time at my birthday party as I do at other people's birthday parties. Yeah. Because I just don't want the fuss, you know? <laughs> and, and it all is like, it's not, it's part of who I am, but it's also part of, you know, I've been in therapy for uh, 650 years. So I know that it's all part of a neurosis too. It's all part of a, like this kind of, I don't want a fuss made about me is, uh, also because <laughs> it's like, it's a way in which, you know, some of my damage manifests itself, right, you know, right. in the, because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm so humble. I don't want a fuss made about me. The also in there is a little bit of get your dirty claws <laughs> off of me. You know, <laughs> you know? So- haven't I given you enough? <laughs> Leave me alone. Well, it's, it seems like you've found a happiness dwelling within your inherent sadness or, yeah, yeah. or depression. So it seems like it's not maybe gone away, but you've found the pocket. Yes. Okay, smart guy, funny guy, successful guy, depressed guy, or guy with depression. So let's figure out how we got here. That's in a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations about mental illness and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness. Not just talking about depression, all kinds of mental illness. We have a lot of laughs on this show, and that is one way of dealing with depression. It's a way of maybe knocking down the power of the disease a little bit. But let's not kid ourselves. It's a serious disease. It is something we need to take seriously, something you need to take seriously if it exists in your life, whether it's for you or someone around you. But the good news is that you can get help. Everyone can get help. You can talk to your loved ones, talk to your friends. And, you know, that can be an awkward conversation, trying to find the right things to say and avoid the wrong things to say. MakeItOK.org is full of information you can use, tools, conversation starters, ways to bridge that conversational gap that you might run into. Find information there to start those conversations. Don't go it alone. Don't let the stigma win. MakeItOK.org. Andy Richter was born in Indiana, but grew up mostly in Illinois. His first inkling of depression came at a very young age, and it involved a record player. I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember when I was, uh, I mean, my parents divorced when I was four. And I remember being a child and listening to uh, Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water uh, and not even fully understanding it, but I would play it over and over and run a slideshow in my head of pictures, like pictures of 
the town Bloomington, Indiana, which is where we had lived, where my you know my folks divorced. My dad stayed in Bloomington, and my mom took us to her parents' house in Illinois. And I would run uh, a slideshow of of Bloomington and of our house and of of uh, you know like different of what had been lost. Yeah, just yeah, and and just make myself so sad. And you know, and I talked to my mom about it. And she said, "Well, you probably heard that song a thousand times because that was one of her coping songs." after after the divorce yeah after the divorce so i mean i kind of learned this kind of luxuriating in sadness and depression like the you know like the cliche of you know pushing on a tooth with a toothache like making it hurt even more yeah um to learn what it was to explore i don't know i don't know just just oh I have I I don't know I don't yeah. know what the mechanism is I don't know if it's uh, it's just because it I was I, w- I must have been deriving some kind of comfort out of it some kind of it's like what cutters describe yeah yeah more dissonance there a kid that age isn't supposed to act like that most kids aren't acting like that but Andy was finding a sort of natural state an affinity for depression. Along with discovering a connection to misery, Andy found a connection to comedy. It was the Carol Burnett show. Okay, stop right there. I talked to a ton of comedians for this show, and I asked about what turned them on to comedy. And people mentioned all kinds of things, Richard Pryor, Monty Python. But what came up really often across a wide age range of comics was that... It was the Carol Burnett show. Carol had a small cast of really funny actors, and they all seemed to sincerely like each other. And they would try to crack each other up during the sketches they performed. I daydreamed about one day being on that show myself and just getting to hang out with them. I got excited when Andy brought it up. Honestly, to me, me it was yep. imitating the Carol Burnett show. Tim Conway, and, Harvey Corman. Yes, and making my grandmother and my brother and my family laugh. Yep. Um, and also being an incorrigible smartass forever. And being, as my mother has said, you know, I get paid for what I used to literally get sent out in the hall for in, in school, in grade <laughs> school. Please do go find some episodes of the Carol Burnett show if you have a chance Andy says that as a kid, his depression eventually went from mental state to physical symptom. I started to get heartburn, and I didn't know what it was, and it was it was just stress from, and and I started to see a uh, a family therapist, like a, a family counselor. So I started therapy, you know, a version of therapy when I was a kid, you know, when I was probably nine, ten years old. And, you know, and that was my mom's doing, and she had us all in as a, as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then we didn't, and then that didn't have, you know, we sort of, that, that was for a couple of years until we seemed to kind of get to a place. And then I think, you know, and I had a younger brother and sister. I have a twin, a half-brother and sister who are nine years younger. And I think we just then, it just, you know, there was just too much life to be worrying too much about going to therapy. The life that he talked about that was going on wasn't like soccer practice and hayrides. You know, one of my basic roots was growing up in a in a unhappy household, couple of broken divorces, a lot of depression, being the 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 sort of 
keeper of the morale. You know, the person that was like, hey, guys, look over here. Where were you uh, in yeah. the birth order? I'm in the middle, okay. as one would be uh, to be that kind of role. Yeah. Um, my mom and dad were divorced when I was very young. And then my mom, uh, her second marriage, uh, you know, kind of fell apart uh-huh. through junior high, high school. Oh, okay. And, um, and so a lot of stuff was laid in my lap. Um, and I... Uh, and probably too much. And Andy, carrying around a mental illness, then has to deal. Because kids just have to deal as best they can in those situations. Because what else are they going to do? Move to a different city? Get an apartment somewhere? No, they have to stick it out. They have no choice. And Andy did. So he keeps it together. He gets elected prom king in his senior year a fact we made fun of with him when he appeared on Wits, which was a variety show I hosted a few years ago. I am what my sash proclaims. (laughs) Prom King? Prom King Andy Richter. I'm here on Prom King business. Your own king and queen shan't be valid until I make it so. Andy Richter, like from Conan? Yeah, we don't tape on the weekends and... That's when I travel from town to town, from prom to prom, sanctioning prom royalty. Depression, however, does not go away just because you ignore it. It's like if you hear a weird noise coming from your car's engine, you can simply turn up the radio, but that doesn't fix the car. Andy graduates and leaves home, and the wheels start to fall off. I got to college, I went to University of Illinois, and just being on my own and outside of, even as problematic as my support structure was, it was still a support structure, and I really just kind of, I mean, I kind of came apart, and uh, and I went to the, the, I started back into counseling, um, first with a, just a, you know, and they, they give you to grad students, basically, in uh. school, because it's free, and uh, with a grad student, and with the first one was terrible. And then I stopped, and then I went back in and, and ended up with a really uh, good therapist who was, um, who actually, who worked with the technique, and I don't, I mean, I'm not a professional, but it was, but sort of, uh, basically, uh, it was a technique of kind of separating voices in your head. Like, hmm. you know, just to kind of get a, some sort of sense of organization, like you have this feeling, assume that feeling, which in retrospect, now thinking about it, it was probably a good acting exercise too. you know, tell me what that feeling is. Don't worry about any qualifying feelings. Just tell me about that feeling. And it was just, it was like the beginnings of being able to organize mm-hmm. my feelings and my thoughts and get a handle on them rather than feeling like you know, I was being attacked by a horde. You always hear about people in show business getting their big break. This technique for Andy seems like getting a big break with mental health because it was followed by a series of life choices that taught him who he was. Well, first, I I, uh, I, I started out at University of Illinois in liberal arts. And then after two years, I transferred to Columbia College and went to film school. And that was the first step of, oh, I'm an artsy weirdo. Mm. I'm a, I'm an artsy weirdo in Midwestern guy clothes, and right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start wearing mascara, but I have more in common with the mascara person than I do with the guys in the bear sweatshirts. Right. Uh, and and then 
an even bigger step from that was after college getting into improv. Now in Chicago, Andy starts taking classes and doing shows in the city's comedy theaters. And this guy who had a hard time growing up, left his first college, wondered what to do. He finds somewhere that just clicks. Then I really was like, I found my tribe. I found my... Right. Yeah, I mean, they were my people. And yeah. and that was, you know, it, that that the improv appealed to me because I knew I wanted to write. I kind of, like, I'm, I have ideas. I have thoughts. I'm good with words. Um, but I'm terrible at sitting down and writing them and being alone. Mm-hmm. And I also, like, could make people laugh by my behavior so it was like this was a night, but I was shy about it. I wasn't thinking I'm going to get on Saturday Night Live. I was just thinking I'm good at this. I like this. Let's see where this takes me. And uh, and I'm having fun and I'm with people that I love. You know, I can't imagine not being with these people. I can't imagine saying, you know what, this is – this is too scary. I'm not, I don't have any money. Last year I made $14,000. It was a second city that this you This is Improv Olympic. Improv mostly. Olympic, yeah. okay. And, and offshoots and annoyance theater. Kind of, I, I was in a lot of different groups. The Chicago comedy scene has provided America with a lot of top comedic actors. I could list hundreds of names, but I'll limit myself to 10 who got started there. John Belushi, Stephen Colbert, Tina Fey, Steve Carell, Amy Sedaris, Amy Poehler, Tim Meadows, Chris Farley, Vince Vaughn, and Jane Lynch. It turned Andy Richter into who he was. Matt Walsh was a collaborator of Andy's back then. Matt went on to start the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. He appears now on the TV show Veep. He says Andy had a very particular set of skills. I think a lot of it has to do being has to do with fun to work with. I think your talent is necessary, but I think in comedy, people want to work with sort of low-maintenance, fun people off-camera, you know, and Andy's a great hang, and he's very social and generous, and so I think that served him well. Uh, In addition, you know, you have to have the talent, you have to have the chops, and I think being a great collaborator is important, too. He came through an improv training and that's all about working with others and so I think his skills were honed in that and that benefited him you know on a show where he was playing with Conan every night I think he's a great collaborator and a good listener and so great Andy Richter in Chicago young and talented and working with people collaborating and feeling like he belongs he's like the girl in the bee costume at the end of that blind melon video it's great but it's not great because depression, turns out, doesn't care. It makes no difference to depression if you're on top of the world. Depression does not take your life circumstances under consideration. If you have it, it's not because things are going badly or going well. You just have it. And Andy did the right thing. He sought help. Yeah, I mean, depression was always a constant, was always there in varying degrees. Um and I, I saw an ad in the paper, and I start I got on a, um, uh, a, a medical study through the University of Chicago. Uh, no, it was UIC. It was University of Illinois Chicago. And it was uh, they gave you a Buspar, which is a um, I think it was Buspar, which is an anxiety drug. And mm. they were trying to s- try 
at higher levels of dosage how it would help with depression. So it was like minimal therapy, but with this uh, with this medication that was like great <laughs> and really. So I mean, it, it wasn't like a high, but it certainly was like it was my first experience with with pharmaceutical relief from this fucking weight that was on me all the time. Sorry, but I don't know how much blurbing or whatever you do, um, <laughs> but uh, or bleeping, I should say. Um, but. And but then I, that that ended, and I and I was uh, you know, and I was out of medication, and I went to see a, a doctor with a sliding scale, who told me within like uh, twenty minutes, like you know, I feel it was very irresponsible of that medical trial to even accept you because she said I talked to you for twenty minutes, and she goes, you shouldn't have been on something that might work for depression. You should have been on something that works for depression. She said, you are an obviously depressed person. And I was like, am I real? Oh, shit. I'm so, wow. I didn't think, I thought I was doing a good job of hiding it. But it wasn't until I got into the, I got to the Conan show, got some goddamn medical insurance, number one, um, that I started into therapy. uh, Because there again, that adjustment, getting on television and putting on a, you know, the... Now you're famous. Well, it wasn't even that. It was just the stress of putting on a television oh, yeah. show. Uh, of starting that television show. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even feel like the pressure that Conan felt of this is all on my shoulders. I just felt the pressure of we're we're inventing a brand new show. We're, you know, we're replacing David Letterman, basically. Yeah. We're replacing David Letterman. And the stress that I felt of that was nothing compared to what some other people were under and it still was crushing me but that was when i started in to real therapy that continues to this day with the same therapist on the phone he's still in new york and uh, and i and i stay with him and and i've been on uh, 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 i've been on uh, antidepressants for years and years and years and i do not foresee uh, ever being off of them okay so here's where i could end the show Guy has depression, tough childhood, finds himself, gets treatment that works, happily ever after. But in a lot of ways, finding something that works is the beginning of the story. Because there are plans, and then there's the chaotic universe. You know, the one that we depressives see more clearly. Life is complicated already, and when you have depression, it's that much more complicated. Your brain has messed with you. It's goofed you all up. And you know that, and that makes you wonder what parts of the world are even real and what parts you're seeing all crooked. Like, is the way that other people enjoy a sunset, is it better than the way I enjoy a sunset? Or, or am I doing the exact same amount of, is my brain producing, my heart, whatever, producing the exact same amount of enjoyment, but I'm just full of doubt about it like that i just can't like just Just feel the enjoyment yeah yeah and um and that's i mean it's it's a question and then and the medication will come in like you know like if i somehow was medication neutral would would i would i be able to would that sunset be more enjoyable and it's kind of like well the problem is you know, on the drive home from the sunset, you'd think about killing yourself three times. 
So, you know, there's a yin and yang. Andy's on a regular schedule of meds now and has to manage that as well. People have a natural aversion to the notion of being on uh, psychotherapeutic drugs. They, they, they will say when I talk about it, well, do you think you're going to have to be on them forever? Which I just kind of feel like you wouldn't say that if, if I was talking about Lipitor, you yeah, know, you or would, insulin, yeah, or insulin, or or you know, f- freaking baby aspirin, you know, it's just no, and and I have I ha- I switched to medication, um, not too long ago. I mean, in recent, and I could, and I knew from the transition from one to the other, it came back, it came back the hopelessness. The, it doesn't matter how nice the day is. It doesn't matter how much I love my wife. It doesn't matter what kind of fun thing I'm doing at my well-paying job. It doesn't matter that my beautiful children fulfill me. What's the point of it all? Right. And uh, Were you able to spot like, oh, okay, I yeah. bet this is because of these yeah, yeah. meds. And even in the misery of it, even in the, like, the real kind of emotional misery of it, it's like, you know... I'm still going like, damn it. <laughs> let's get this pills. Let's get these pills working again. Come on, come on. Do you think of depression as something that you have managed or conquered or managed. something that, yeah? Managed. Absolutely managed. Uh, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a bad back. It's a bad back that I've learned to kind of cope with, deal with, exercises, medication, therapies, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that I have, uh, you know, just gotten gotten to a workable level. Yeah. And it's not, and it isn't to say that it doesn't still affect my quality of life, because I think it probably absolutely does, but, you know, so does a bad back. Well, you, you've always seemed to me like somebody who can see the bullshit for what it is. Yeah. Like all the, you know, all the, the showbiz kind of stuff. You, yes. Like it, I remember you, you said to me one time, well, that, that's just all ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just don't worry about that. Yeah, no, there's a lot of things that you just, and as you get older too in this, you just, like, you just know, oh, that doesn't, that thing that everyone's making a big fuss out of, that doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't, well, it, it matters because people think it matters, but it doesn't have to matter. And it doesn't right. have to matter. It doesn't have to matter in a universal sense, but it certainly, to me, doesn't have to matter at all. Like you know, red carpet things or going to parties or thing. You, you know, uh, you, you know, the notion of you know the kind of networking that some people really thrive on, seem to thrive on, or seem to insist on doing. I, uh, you know, w- one could arguably make the case that if, like, I didn't spend so many nights at home, I could have done more. Eh, you know, but then... Uh, then you wouldn't have got to be home. Yeah, I wouldn't have <laughs> got to be home, you know. I, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm intensely aware of that, like, if, you know, uh, and in terms of, like, having career-type regrets... Uh, you know, if I'd written more things, if I'd been, you know, pushed more and been my own advocate more and, and uh, 
you know, borrowed some of the ambition that so many people seem to have buckets of. Uh, you know, yeah, but then that would, but it's like there's only so many hours in a day, and those would have been hours that I wouldn't have been home yelling at my kids. And that's time you would have been spent that you would have spent thinking, this isn't enough. I got to try to get yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, uh, no, that's flying for that. It, that, is, that is an absolute truism that there is. And I think that this is, I think that this is the case with most, most performers is that the whole will never be full. Yeah. You just, and, and, and the, the main thing that you can do is, is be, be comfortable with that knowledge. Yeah. You know, get to, get to be like, you know, this kind of, you know, and like I said before about the separation of the voices, it's like, just keep that voice. Mm-hmm. Just keep that voice quiet. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you're not satisfied. What? That voice doesn't need to talk yeah. all the time. You know, take a look around that voice. Look around. It's pretty good. What we've got going on is pretty good. Andy's advice to himself, therapist he likes, meds that work, be honest with himself, do something he likes for a living. I asked what advice he had for other people. Get to a therapist. Just get to a therapist. And if you don't like one, go to another. And if you can't afford one, find one with a sliding scale. And if you don't like that one, find another one with a sliding scale. Um, persistence. And that just persistence. Persistence and know that, know that the talking cure is a real cure. Maybe not like a cure in the sense of, you know, you'll be free, but you certainly, you'll get a relative amount of freedom, you know, and if, and, and, and if you can believe just in the process uh, of therapy and if you can find someone that works for you and that you can make some progress uh, and, and don't be afraid of medication. Don't, don't think of it as a weak, don't think of any, any, any form of mental health medical procedure as a, as a admission of weakness. It's, 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 you know, if you, if your leg is broken, you put a splint on it and nobody says like, Hey pussy, what are you wearing that splint for? <laughs> you broke your leg. You know, you need help. You need, you need help. And, and there's nothing wrong with accepting help that you need that will keep you going and allow you, you, you know, Denying help in itself is a weakness, is, is a kind of weakness. And until you, until you get yourself to as healthy as you can be, you know, that, that's, when, that's when real strength comes into play. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Technical director, Veronica Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Kate Moose. Special thanks to Jonathan Blakely. Our theme song is called Pagliacci, and it was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller. Much more about Rhett is at his website, rhettmiller.com. Confidential help is available for free at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOkay.org, a campaign to start conversations about mental illness and stop the stigma. 
It's a way for you to find help either for yourself or for people around you. It's a place you can get information, tips on starting and continuing those sometimes awkward conversations where you want to reach out to somebody and help, but you don't know how. So this is a resource, a place to check out for yourself or for others. Makeitok.org. Find it. Use it. Coming up on the next episode, eight comedians, one show. I went to couples therapy with my wife first and then realized that she was the problem all along. So I was fine. <laughs> but I remember like even among Scop kids, like, you know, we'd talk about death and I'd be like, I'd be like, but wouldn't it be great if we were dead? And everyone's like, no. And I'm like, I don't, why, what are we doing? What are we doing? So I went off cold turkey a couple times. Um, and instead of becoming creative or funnier, I just became too depressed to function. I thought the therapist would be like, well, there you go. You know, so take a little Zoloft, take a little Zanny. You're going to feel better, buddy. And uh, my therapist just never did. A lot of people who went through puberty were like, cool, now I can touch boobs. You know, but I think I was like, no, the world's terrible. If I didn't have food, I would be tired because you don't, you know, I wasn't putting energy in my body, I was putting fuel in my body, so then I could sleep a lot. I never made it to the Museum of Broadcasting because I just woke up in the hotel on the day we were to go and I just said, I don't know what to do, I can't get out of the hotel room. So it's like a lot of times I'll like do my show and then I'll go back to my room and have to sort of just like negotiate my mood for the rest of the time that I'm there. I'm John Moe, bye now. Say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know Hi, everyone. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and we host the Dinner Party Download, the culture show designed to fuel your weekend conversations. Each week, we give you everything you need for successful party going, including cocktail recipes, weird true tales from history, and charmingly bad jokes. Hopefully, they are charming. Yes, we try. Plus, conversations with some of the world's most creative folks, from Scarlett Johansson to Salman Rushdie. The Dinner Party Download. Find it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.